Uh, I don't know how much I could talk about political structure on here. I'm not sure what your show much as you want. is. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> you're welcome to go for it. Howdy, folks. This is HedgePod, a podcast about how our mass media reinforces the cultural hegemony of the ruling class. I'm Jack. My pronouns are they and them, but I'm also okay with he and him. I'm Nova. My pronouns are he and him. I'm Athena. My pronouns are she, they. What we do here is explain and explore the many ways that popular media is used to consciously and unconsciously enforce the ideology of the ruling class. Cultural hegemony is a component of Marxist philosophy. We're leftists here, which means we have radical takes like organizing with your coworkers should never lead you to losing your job. Uh, if you can get fired for organizing, that's probably proof that you need to organize. And I'm very thrilled to introduce you to a very special guest uh, that we've uh, managed to have come on the show here today uh, from Apod Lacha, a shrewd and witty, comical, sometimes irreverent, and always honest podcast providing counter narrative to the negative portrayal and harmful stereotypes of uh, Appalachia. Welcome with me, Big John Eisner. Hey, thanks for having me. My pronouns are he, him. Really appreciate you taking the time to. Uh, uh, join us on the show today. I'm I'm very interested to see uh, to hear what your takes are going to be on this episode. So what what we've been doing here to to catch y'all up is we've been listening to some pieces of of mass media. So we started season one. We were doing sitcoms, but now we've been we've been watching some cartoons and some anime and some animations. And what we've got today is a <laughs> hilarious show, SpongeBob SquarePants, season two, episode thirty eight. Squid on Strike, originally aired October 12th, 2001, and I, I've got to say, the themes in this episode are just, i it's 10 minutes of some of the most hilarious stuff, but it's also, there's a lot of hegemony in it. There's a lot of hegemony in it, especially about workplace and trying to move the needle on workplace rights. So I'm, I'm pretty excited to hear some of your perspectives on this stuff, and with that, we'll get right into it. All right, so starting off, we've got we've got Mr. Krabs come comes out right. So for those of you who watch SpongeBob, they they work at a place called the Krusty Krab, right? Mr. Krabs is a is a stereotypically greedy CEO type figure. He, uh, they, it's basically the Krusty Krab's like a, uh, a fast food restaurant, right? They serve Krabby Patties. SpongeBob's like a, uh, the model employee, essentially. He's really excitable and he's kind of like the way that you are when you first start a job. You're just kind of wide eyed and full of wonder. And we start off with Mr. Krabs. He, he comes out and says, I'm not paying you to breathe. Before that, it starts with him counting like, the, the monthly earnings. Count me money, money sweeter than honey. Money, money, this money, money. That profit will make me wallet fat. What? Profit's down $3 from last month. And he sees that he's uh, short by $3 uh, compared to the previous month. Right, so he's so he's basically looking at his numbers. Uh, how many times have we seen businesses do this? I mean, you got to do the, do the reports uh, under capitalism. You know, the the numbers always got to go up, right? Like no matter what. Uh, and he sees that he's off three dollars. So, you know, organization of this size, <laughs> it's a small business. You would think that that would be just sort of a negligible 
costs for shrinkage or whatever. And so what he decides is that his solution is going to be he's going to he's going to charge Squidward, uh, who also works with SpongeBob. He's kind of the more grumpy guy, and SpongeBob for you know uh, this whole list of things like standing around fee, uh, breathing fee, lollygagging, lollygagging fee. <laughs> what is this? You're making me pay you to stand at the cash register? What is the meaning of this? Have you gone off the deep end? There's gonna be a few changes around here. Every time I catch you two goofing off, I'm gonna charge you for it. Well, and what's interesting is like, I mean, not exactly this, but like, company towns, man. They used to do this kind of shit. You would pay to live there. So, so I want to I want to hear from Big John kind of some information about company towns because I know on y'all's podcast you go through and do a lot of Appalachian history. So, what what can you tell us about some of the some of the past of company towns, especially in West Virginia? Funny enough, this is in the news right now uh, with Amazon and, and creating their own towns as they call them as well. It is, it's one of the worst things uh, for any rural area, but especially in Appalachia, essentially, you live and work in the same spot. You're not given, like, United States currency. You're given currency that's used uh, within that business. So, essentially, any money that goes out of the business is always guaranteed to come back. Uh, it is, uh, for lack of a better term, like a capitalist, like, dream. It is what people are looking forward to when they wake up uh, trying to get to that point. Yeah, I mean, so you've got, I mean, in, in our state alone, we had, Mate, you know, Mate One is a good example. There was a movie made about yep. it. Uh, and uh, they lived in a, the entire town of Mate One was essentially a company town. Like, the coal company owned Mate One, essentially. Every house, every store was, was basically company property. So if you went to work for the coal mine, then you were billed for staying in their lodging. You were billed for buying stuff at their store. And they, they could essentially, they paid you in this company script that you could use. So not only did they set the prices for everything, but they could choose to deduct from you uh, for whatever reason. If you had some sort of disciplinary issue or whatever, they could just tack it on. So instead of, of you know, getting paid a wage uh, for the work that you do, it's essentially a, extra steps toward indentured servitude. <laughs> and that, that's, uh, that's kind of what we've got here with the, the whole setup. Of, yeah, because if you don't have but, any real money, if you're not getting paid real money, then you don't have the freedom to leave. I mean, that's effectively slavery. In uh, I I was actually because I went and visit Jack the other the other um, month. God, mm. time doesn't matter anymore. <laughs> um, and we went to Pullman Square, and um, Pullman Square is a bit different when you know that Pullman had one of the most egregious company towns, like. Mm -hmm. It is a dollop episode that goes over that one. And well, I mean, that, that's the same deal with Collis P. Huntington too. I mean, like the the railroad, the railroad town was a thing. I mean, the place where I grew up in Oklahoma was a railroad town, and it was all, you know, privately owned. Uh, you know, the entire town it, essentially. You know. Yeah, it's just I I don't know how to put it into words because it's like all of those towns were created because of Pullman, if I'm remembering correctly. Mm. If I'm remembering correctly, and someone correct me if I'm wrong, I think Pullman was, like, both the um, progenitor and also kind of, like, the height of, like, 
th that was what ev all of the the company towns were trying to strive mm. for is to be like the Pullman town. Right. So he's so so the big thing that the that uh, the Mr. Krabs comes out and says, you know, I I'm not paying you to breathe, and I it just this this sentiment just wears me out so much because I, I you hear some different version of it when they say it this way when the show says it this way it sounds preposterous but how many of you have worked in a job where you've heard you know your boss or whatever say i'm not paying you to xyz whatever it is stand around you know use the bathroom whatever you know whatever it is just basic if you humanity got time stuff. To lean, you got time to clean <laughs> right <laughs> So so he starts out, you know, with that, and it's like, yeah, I'm not paying you to breathe, and, and Squidward's just like, I'm not paying you. You're not paying us hardly anything at all. And then, you know, they get they get the paycheck, which of course is not a paycheck. It's a it's a bill. The first thing that happens after that, of course, Squidward's fuming, rightly so, and SpongeBob, he he looks at Mr. Krabs and he's like, said something like, I can't I can't accept your money. Grilling is my passion. Here's your check. Here's yours, SpongeBob. I can't accept your money, Mr. Krabs. Grilling is my passion. I, I, I had this in my notes, and then I saw Athena's notes, and I have to say I had a change of heart. So my first thought was like, this this filthy bootlicker, <laughs> this is what I would call somebody. <laughs> I, <laughs> refuses. I would have agreed with you if it wasn't for a bunch of... I had a... um. Uh, do, do we want to go into it now, or do we do we want to wait? I, I say we get into it. I want to I wanna hear it. I want to hear... Go ahead? Yeah. Okay. Um, I was uh, thinking through this um, episode, and I kind of got hit by a thunderbolt. And honestly, what I'm about to say is probably not going to be news to some people. Actually, mm -hmm. a lot of people. Mm -hmm. So, SpongeBob is unintentionally coded autistic. Some people are going to hear that, and they're going to be like, Oh my god, bullshit. It's like, okay, look. I'm going through what I can call a discovery period. I was recently um, officially diagnosed with autism not too long ago. And I, I'm going through the same thing I did with ADHD. And that is um, you, you go through, you'll, you'll always have these periods where you'll think back on something uh, and you'll go, oh, that's what that was. Mm -hmm. But right when you get diagnosed, it's just a constant stream of, oh, that's what that childhood memory was. Mm -hmm. and, and it happens a lot if you get diagnosed later in life. Um, but anyway, so I was thinking over this episode. There was this one episode in particular called the um, Krabby Patty training video. Mm -hmm. And in it, um, it kind of focuses on SpongeBob. And it, there's this line that keeps happening. It's like, nobody wants to be a Squidward. Mm -hmm. And I was thinking about that episode. And I was like, you know, I really hate that episode. Because it's, um, we, we, we should probably do that one sometime. Because it's full of Hedgemini 2. Because... It, it's saying like, oh, look at SpongeBob. He's the one doing it. Um, he does it correctly and stuff. And I, I got an idea of what the best being a good worker was because mm -hmm. of that episode. Yeah, that episode is is modeled after actual training videos for workplaces. Like when I worked, I worked in fast food. We had to watch a training video that was almost exactly like that. They gave you a, it was like a goofus and gallant sort of thing for those of you who are old enough to remember Highlights Magazine and know what goofus and gallant is. Um, it, it's like they give you a model character of somebody who does everything wrong and then they give you a model character of everything, someone that does everything right. right. You know, and the the part about it that your notes, you know, made me really open my eyes on, on seeing that was that seeing SpongeBob 
as someone that is possibly autistic or or neurodivergent, which you know SpongeBob is neurodivergent. That's kind of where the whole comedy of the show comes from, is that he is socially different. You know, like he doesn't he doesn't really mesh well with the rest of the people in Bikini Bottom, right? Like, so he's 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 very hyper. He has man like sort of you know manic personality things, and he's very excitable and. I- you know. Yeah, I saw something that was. It was like he's a. I, I hate this phrase though. It's something kind of like he's a, a. He's an adult with a child mind or something like that. Yeah, and and it, honestly, just like seeing the way that he's written like that, and knowing that there are people that are have this, the people that I know and respect that have this sort of same kind of neurodivergence, but in reality, their life is very different than Spongebob. I mean, we talk about ableism a lot on this show, right? And right out the gate, we have an example of it here. Spongebob is like, I can't accept your money. Grilling is my passion. And really, this is kind of, you know, sort of his neurodivergence. And it's an example of Mr. Krabs taking advantage of that, right? Mm-hmm. Exactly. And I, now, and I want, because I know, I did some research, because I wanted, I didn't just want to, like, come out and pull something out of thin air, you know? And actually, the reason why I said at the start that this isn't going to be news to some people is I found several threads that were like, is this still news to people? Mm -hmm. Um, And if you ask um, the the show writers and stuff, for example, talk about how like a lot of uh, families and people with autism and stuff, it's like, Oh, I love the show. Now, of course, and this really, um, I I have a whole script. I'll I'll probably go on a tangent about uh, how we treat um, autism. Eventually when it comes to how we treat it, they, keep just like we just don't know we have no idea why autistic people are drawn to this show and it's like it i did not see a single person come out and go hmm maybe it's because they finally relate to a character at least Mm -hmm. slightly whether or not it's a good thing or a bad thing that's a whole other discussion but they finally see themselves in media and mm -hmm. it and it's not necessarily portrayed in a negative way it's kind of just portrayed and yeah, that's gonna matter. <laughs> yeah, I mean, so SpongeBob uh, is is you know if you if you look at it through a certain lens, you know SpongeBob could very well be an example of neurodivergent representation, <laughs> you know, in media. Like now, I will say I don't think it was intentional, which yeah. would have its own problems. So that means that you know, coded is kind of a complicated thing because it's um, yeah, I mean. The, the most classic example of that is um, uh, queer-coded, right? It's mm-hmm. when it's like, well, they're not gay, but they also are, wink. And um, yeah. autism and um, a lot of neurodivergency um, falls into this as well because uh, people will create characters and they'll, they'll, they will actually pull, what's the word I'm looking for? Uh, inspiration from quirkiness from other people so um another example of this that i i find is futaba from persona 5 um she is like it never comes out to say that she's autistic or has adhd or anything like that but if you have those things and you look at her you you know she does like Mm. but and i think the reason why for that is because they're like what what would a quirky computer hacker be like so they start picking these characteristics Right. And these characteristics tend to match up with these other characteristics that are sure. neurodivergent. So that that tends to be how that happens. 
And that's where you get with SpongeBob too, is that is why I am focusing on the word um, unintentional because yeah. I do not think this was intentional at all. You know, I, I thought that it was really like something that it had, I, like you said, there's going to be people that are going to say like, wow, I never thought I, that was, I'm one of those people. I never thought of that until this afternoon when I read your notes. So I really appreciate you bringing that to the table. If anything, when you look at some of the ways that like when uh, movies or TV tried to depict people who are neurodivergent, uh, a lot of times they'll have, you know, some they'll treat like autism, like a superpower or something. Maybe it's better that SpongeBob is coded as it, instead of them trying to be like overt about it because it yeah. made it a little less awkward of a way in which they handled it. Yeah, it's it's certainly complicated. Um, I've shown what I've been working on to Jack and Nova a little bit, but yeah, there, there's that whole thing of like you're either amazing and you're a superhero, like people come to you and you solve all the problems, or you're a problem. You yeah. you're you're draining on people's resources right. and stuff like that, and that that's yeah, that's you're not normal. You just can't you can't right. just be normal. Right, because if you're if you're neurodivergent, you can't just be normal, right? You got to be either a superhero or a you know a weirdo or something, right? Like I, it's interesting because um someone because when I you know did some research recently, I found out that um oh I for the business monster um Bob's Burgers episode yeah what's her name a uh, Tina Tina yeah yeah she's um seen as coded as autistic hmm. at times so I I like that portrayal also um. I can't remember names today. I'm sorry. Um, from Community. Abed. Abed. Yes, thank you. Um, he's also and those I I especially Abed is just a really because yeah he's really good at what he does but he's also he's just a normal dude. Yeah. Like right. he we all have our quirks to some degree and whatnot but the the issue is that neurodivergent people their quirks are seen as just oh your quirks are way beyond our normal quirks and it's mm. like just because we allow it right that's true that's a, and and i mean that's the whole point of the show right is normalization talking about how media you know helps to to either broaden or restrict that scope so i mean i mean i don't know if they deserve congratulations for this cuz like you said it's kind of unintentional but you know i kind of got to i got to i got to kind of tip my hat towards well, spongebob for or the showrunners for for at least making a character that's just like, you know, I don't know. We talked earlier about the Amazon store, right? And and, and uh, Big John brought up the the idea of you know Amazon's trying to do this again. I get a question: How far do you think that they're going to be able to take it? How far do you think they'll get before people kind of realize like the historical ramifications of this? And like, I mean, are they going to completely erase the progress? that has been made on this front or are we just like in a in a cyclical type of history here just kind of curious what y'all's thoughts are on that i mean really all history is cyclical sure yeah but, knowing history is kind of like being cassandra from troy but it's this is such a we have so many recent examples of this you know like i mean when when was blair mountain we just celebrated the 100 years, 100 year anniversary of Blair Mountain, right? Big John, you want to bring us up to speed on what happened at Blair Mountain? <laughs> <laughs> uh, I, I guess the easy way to put it is it's, I mean, it's literally one of the largest, well, it is the largest labor war, uh, I think, in the United States, but it, a massive amounts of of deaths over, over labor. And uh, going back to your original question about, you know, how far do we think Amazon will get? I think they'll get pretty far. And, 
I think history repeats itself based off of where who's running the show essentially. Because mm. if you look, uh, I don't know how much I could talk about political structure on here. I'm not sure what your show much as you want. is. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> you're um, welcome to go if for you it. Look, <laughs> if you look at any labor movements, a lot of the times they start at the end of a conservative government. So mm. uh, it's constant uh, oppression of labor, oppression of labor, oppression of labor, and then you have pissed off laborers, mm. laborers. And, and that's where you start to see the change. And I think that that's what's going to happen again is Amazon's going to get pretty far. And, you know, you're starting to see kind of things kind of trinkle in right now with Amazon workers trying to get unionized but failing because Amazon essentially splits the ballot on purpose, um, which is a lo- what historically a lot of employers did. Coal mines did it mm. all the time. Uh, and that's going to continue to happen for a while and then i think you're going to start to see people kind of get sick of it and then you're going to start to see another labor movement but i think they're going to get pretty far yeah well hopefully not too far i mean i i think that it yeah, goes without saying that this amazon's work towns are a uh bad idea folks bad yeah. idea <laughs> let's not can do I it ask a question <laughs> go for can, it can i ask a question of uh john there what what do you th- how do you think a uh, climate change will affect it with the process in labor in general or Amazon? The, the Amazon thing specifically. I'm not so sure it'll have a giant impact at the beginning. I mean, we could definitely start to see a change in the next 10 to 20 years over availability of resources. But I think Bezos, even though he's out of the company, I still kind of put him at the top. Uh, their, their regime is going to continue to find ways to get around every possible issue when it comes to that. So even if warming or climate change it starts to impact them they'll essentially be able to maneuver within government confines to push the issue below them so they'll push it onto small businesses which will then hurt you know them in the long run amazon will continue to go you know, scot-free for a while which again is is what we've seen in the past when any type of issue have come has come up we've allowed big business to kind of go around it while everybody else is impacted right Oh man, that's great. It's a it's a kind of a grim outlook to be honest. I mean, I'm not gonna lie. <laughs> um, yeah, I, I I I'm always the one. I tell I tell Chuck, who's my co-host on on my show, <laughs> I tell him all the time. Like he asks me those questions, I'm, and I'm the one that always has to like deliver the bad news. <laughs> uh, and I I always jokingly tell him like I have to start asking him those questions. Mm. Because, People are going to start to think like I have I have no good thoughts. <laughs> Big John's been black pilled. <laughs> we're, yeah. we're not turning back here. Yep. <laughs> so yeah. Oh, sorry. I was just I I agree with that. But there's some things that I just keep wondering about climate change. Like I don't know how to word this. Like because like they build a company town and then what happens if you know there's like an earthquake or something through that area like. Mm. Who's, who's going to be responsible for, you know, making sure they, they... Here's what I imagine will happen. Amazon builds company town. Uh, it gets flooded by tsunami or hurricane a flood. Amazon takes a ton of federal funds to fix the problem, pockets the money, does nothing with it, uh, mm-hmm. lets, the, lets the workers drown, says get back to work, uh, you ingrates. Uh, and so... Or they'll move on. Or they'll just, yeah, leave it. Yeah. Watch, yeah, I mean, it's kind of like setting, uh, it's like setting a town on fire, 
complaining that it's on fire, getting paid because it's on fire, and then just <laughs> watching it burn as you leave. That's like, it. That's what Amazon would, would right. do. That's it. Yeah. They would just watch it burn. Yeah. I, I, yeah, I am yeah. with you 100%. That's going to happen. Yeah. I, <laughs> yeah I'm, we're, we're from um, Oklahoma, uh, me and Jack, and uh, I... Yeah, we see this all the time with Walmart, so I don't know why I would yeah. think it's any different. <laughs> why would it be any different? Yeah. So back to the show. Uh, he, he first Squidward's like, I'm not paying my boss, right? Like he's straight up living in Mate One, Blair Mountain, et cetera, et cetera, conditions here. He's been charged, you know. So he's been charged for breathing. He's been charged for lollygagging, and uh, so he decides he's going to go on strike. Uh, so that takes us to he he riles up SpongeBob and says, "Don't you don't you see that this is a this is an oppressive system that we live in? He's taking advantage of you, SpongeBob." He tries to tell him, uh, but SpongeBob doesn't really have a full understanding of what the the strike is, right? And he immediately goes to Mr. Krabs and is like, "Hey, we're going on strike," you know. It's interesting to note too. Oh, for one, don't ever tell your boss anything about that, right? Uh, but two, they kind of the the hegemony here is that they don't talk about forming a union at mm, all they don't right. talk about what their you know specific demands are uh they just say strike and leave so right. there's no like structure to what they're doing mm. they didn't even make any oh. demands like i like they 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 didn't they didn't say okay we're gonna quit until this is re- rectified we're gonna quit until you give me this and when when spongebob is is uh you know saying uh, uh you, you're, you're Mr. Krabs, like you're gonna carry around signs, and you're gonna you're gonna march back and forth, and you're gonna demand my respect, <laughs> you know. And SpongeBob's like, yeah, and of course that's the thing that immediately they're fired, like out out on the street. As soon as Mr. Krabs is like, they're gonna demand that I respect them, they're out of there. <laughs> and it's rough, but it's also tracks with reality. Well, they weren't fired because of of attempting to unionize they were fired because of uh of of conduct they they weren't good work weren't team players <laughs> right that's the line at least that was the official company line right and that's what happens in real life right like you you get a, a company like the hr person or whomever at the company gets a sniff that there's like okay there's some buzz the workers are trying to organize so we got to stop this right so what they do is they'll try to separate out somebody like they did with i mean Krabs did this with SpongeBob and said, "Look, you don't understand." Which we talked about this in the episode of the Office. The the the, yep. uh, the episode of the Office we did. They tried to form a union in the in the basement or in the warehouse, and and then Jan came down the stairs, and the symbolism there of like coming down to where the peons are or what have you, and and said, you know, if you strike, you're going to lose your jobs, every last one of you. They'll shut this branch down like this, and they play into these fear tactics like. Like we'll we'll just we'll just shut it down. And some some owners, you know, and I call them owners because that's what they are. They own the business. They own you, pretty much. Will would rather shutter their windows and close the doors of their business than to see a union formed on their watch. You know, so I mean, it's a very serious thing. Like it's a it's a it's a very you know realistic thing. And I think that. In this situation, Squidward didn't do a good job of communicating to SpongeBob what was at stake here. Oh, he never does. Right. Like, he never, because, of course, he thinks SpongeBob has the mental capacity of a rock. So, <clears throat> so uh, they, they go on strike. They're out. You know, SpongeBob's sad and everything. Like, he's, you know, and, and then here we come the next part about this that I think is the hegemony component here. 
is Squidward's trying to tell SpongeBob what he is going to get out of sticking with the strike. You know, because SpongeBob wants to go back across the picket line. He wants to scab it up and say, I'm sorry, I can I have my job back, blah, blah, blah. All, he wants to play right into Mr. Krabs' hand. And, and Squidward says, oh, you'll have your job back and more. And it's really just kind of like empty promises about what you're going to get out of a, doing a strike instead of like moving the baseline standard for workers' rights forward, right? Does that make sense, what I'm saying? Yeah. So like, I think that happens a lot you know, with, with uh, labor movements, too, is why you end up with infighting, right? Because people, there's some people that join the cause because they don't understand that they're trying to move the baseline forward for all employees. SpongeBob and Squidward have different motivations, and they're not communicating about those motivations, and that's where the strife comes from. Right. And so that's why it's important, you know, in in any labor movement that you have a, a a clear unified goal moving forward. That's why the you know in any movement really you see the fist right, like the fist is a, is representative of, you know, it's all the fingers. The fingers are the different people right in the in the organization. And you know if you try to strike with your fingers out, like you're not going to make an impact. But if you come together, you know, like a fist, that's the that's what that imagery invokes, right? Am I Am I right on that? Yeah. yeah you're you going to be unified. Yeah, you have to be unified. So, but in order to do that, you know, you got to be clear. Every your goals have to be the same. And we just have that example here with SpongeBob. He's just like, uh, uh, okay, if you say so, sort of thing. Like, okay, uh, you know, he he doesn't know what he's getting into, start to finish. Squidward has to teach to him. This uniform is a symbol of our oppression, and you know, he's like, throw it on the ground, make a scene of it. So he's like telling him how to act. During the strike, right? Well, it's also like, and, you know, as we were saying, you know, because I, I noticed, like, he was like, this is the first thing we got to do. And I'm like, that's the first thing you got to do? <laughs> right. Is the hat? <laughs> the hat is the first thing you got to do? I got a laundry list here that I can think of at the top of my head that you got to do first, and the hat isn't one of them. Yeah, definitely uh, making a concise list of demands uh, or or the, you're deciding what your no compromise line is, right? Like, You've got to understand what your non-negotiables are. And those have to be unanimous, pretty much, in the organization. I, I say this as somebody that does... Ha I don't have any union experience at all. I will say that to my listeners. I've never formed a union. I've never been in a union. I almost was in a teacher's union once, but other than that... So, anybody who has been in one, feel free to correct me or comment, you know, where I'm wrong on this. But if you're doing any kind of labor action as a unified movement, like, you've got to be on the same page, right? Like, you've got to have a clear goal, and everyone has to share that goal. Otherwise, your movement's going to fizzle. Right, and and you also have to, like, what what are you going to do during the strike? Who, like, do you have resources? Do mm -hmm. you have someone taking care of the resources? Do you, you know, it it's, it's a big thing if you want to have, like, um, longevity with it, right. you know? It requires planning and you know, preparation. I think a lot of the problem is there's, when these strikes happen, so I've never been a part of a union either. I went to law school for employment and labor law. And I think a lot of the times that what happens is theory, like we all can sit here and say like, oh, you have to have this and this and this, but like when a strike happens is, is usually uh, very spur of the moment, even though you can, or some that like, okay, we're going to go to a vote and all these people, you know, we're having bad contractual relations, but no one plans to have bad contractual mm -hmm. relations right. with their employers. So it just comes at, you know, pretty quickly. So 
these are a lot of the times like after the fact thoughts, which mm. sucks. Uh, and that's why a lot of the, a lot of movements die quickly is because, mm. uh, they run out of resources because they, they couldn't plan. Right. Right. But isn't that also part of, uh, what unions are supposed to like be for is, and I know that's hard because, you know, I live in a state where you, unions are basically outlawed here. So mm. everyone has to like get tiptoe around it. The, the whole point of a union, though, isn't it to be able to reach out and get those resources right. going and done quickly? Well, I mean, I think that's the thing. Like, you you know, you don't see you don't see anybody forming a union before it's time to have one. I think that's yeah, I think that's what John's getting at here. Right. Like, mm, yeah, right. If the union already exists, that's you're right. They should have some resources in place. But if you think about it in a lot of rural, rural areas, they may be associated like so for instance united mine workers of america you know they they're located they have you know places throughout the country but they have a you know branch in west virginia yes they're a national organization but those resources only go so far within the state um and, and they're probably one of the bigger unions that most people deal with i mean you have teamsters and stuff like mm. that but the other thing is uh once you know if you're actually having a a pure labor movement without you know, without real organization, so you don't have a union in place, those resources are really hard to come by, mm. uh, which is unfortunately why, like, GoFundMe has become, like, the new, <laughs> uh, you know, the new place for, for labor movements, which, you know, is sad because you'd think right. we'd have a better availability than that. Right. I'll GoFundMe for healthcare, too. So. Yeah. <laughs> oh, that's true. GoFundMe's getting tired of shouldering the burden of it. They've had to, like, send out press releases, like, stop, please stop making GoFundMe's. <laughs> For your medical bills, please stop making GoFundMe's for your these big social justice elements. You know, like they 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 don't have the infrastructure to handle it. And meanwhile, like you know, our 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 federal government and our state governments are just like, I, I don't know, what can we do? I guess we won't do anything. You know, like and it's like GoFundMe's shouldering the burden of all of this. You know, and I mean they're not completely blameless in all this too. Let's just let's you know be perfectly clear. They're they're reaping a big profit from people you know using this system for that, but. You know, this, it, how sad is it? What kind of, you know, commentary is it on our society at large that this is the our best that we can do? Come on, you know. I I have another question about all this. Could we say that it would be useful to have a group, a I don't know, like a union within a union, I guess, or something that's like their entire purpose is to prepare for <laughs> those spur of the moment places for everyone else. Does that make sense? I'm sure that exists. I think the the big part, the big problem with that is that you would have to do that. And I'm, like I said, I think that it does happen in some of the larger unions. Uh, but you'd have to do that in almost like a very secretive way because mm -hmm. once any politician, uh, you know, who it, who hates unions hears about that, they're going to start talking about like, here's where all your fees are right. going, and and that's exactly right. what they always do is they find these little nooks and crannies of where money goes. And that would be massive for them right. because, you know, people would start to think, oh, you know, my money's not going to me. It's going to a just-in-case fund, you know, and right. that's always the shitty part. And that we do have the IWW, you know, it's the International Workers 
something. Yeah. And then West Virginia has a has a chapter. I feel like I should know what that <laughs> what the IWW stands for, but that's kind of what they're for. They're supposed to be an international labor union. Uh, industrial workers of the world. And there right? you go. Industrial workers of the world. Yeah. Uh, and uh, so I was I was way off. <laughs> Please, nobody from IWW come after me with that. <laughs> they're, they're coming. They're coming. <laughs> Uh, but yeah, I mean like that's kind of what they're for, but then there's a lot of stipulations. Like you can't, you can't be in the IWW if you work in a situation where you're in management, if anybody reports to you, if you, you know, have, if you run a business that has employees, like, you know, and by and large, those type of people are not going to be the ones that are looking for to unionize. So I understand that, but I, I agree with you. I think that there should be some more resources, but we're very anti-labor as a society, you know, in the United States, mm-hmm. like we just, we we have this rhetoric, and again, which is why we're doing the show, of that that striking is is it's bad at worst, it's criminal at worst, and it's a silly goofball business at best. And I think that's what we're getting at with this whole episode of SpongeBob is that like you know this going on strike because you didn't like your working conditions that's something that's kid stuff, you know. When the reality of it is. We have a long and bloody history uh, uh, of labor movements in the United States, um, and recent, you know. Yeah, I, I appreciate John and answering questions because um, I'm I'm only um, asking for hypothetical reasons. I'm not I'm not <laughs> I'm not planning anything. Let me just drink my water here. <laughs> So back to the show. He's got the Squidward takes the hat. This uniform is a symbol of our oppression. Throws it on the ground, and of course, of course, what happens immediately? The cop comes out, finds him for littering. (laughs) The cop comes out, finds him for littering. That's of course. (laughs) Like, uh, let's talk for a second about uh, the police's role uh, in strikes and in uh, labor unionization. Oh boy. Let's just say it this way: Uh, cops tend to be not very favorable to work protests or protests in general. I, I don't think that I need to cite a whole lot of examples on this for you to get a, a, a mental image uh, in your head of what the police might do to a, you know, organization that uh, carrying signs and, you know, standing in the way of a business or anything like that. You know, it might be construed as, oh, there's a, there's some violent activity and let's, you know, there, sometimes these things do get aggressive, and sometimes you know some sort of intervention may, may be necessary. But by and large, what you're going to see is the police are going to have the interest of the business at heart, right? Like they're going to have the interest of of that's why they exist. Whoever the corporate overlord is is going to control the, to control the cops by and large. So, um, and if the cops don't do it, then they'll hire Pinkertons. Yeah, exactly. So back to our West Virginia, back to our West Virginia history here. It wasn't the Pinkertons that mate one. It was a Baldwin Feltz, I think. But same same deal. If you can't find a municipal cop to do it, we'll find some other type of cop, mercenary, hired gun, whatever you want to call it. National (laughs) Guard. Right. Hey, you know we we keep we, we we bust on Pinkertons a lot, but hey, at least they changed their icon. To rainbow colors during Pride Month. <laughs> oh yeah, yeah. Okay, That's yeah. What's every, really important. Everything's forgiven. <laughs> All is forgiven. No, no, no. Let's. Nothing is forgiven uh, for the Pinkertons. In fact, they need to stop existing immediately. 
but yeah, so the cop comes out, immediately finds him. So this is, I thought that was kind of interesting, kind of both from yeah. a hegemony lens, the fact that, but they made the joke and it was a harmless joke, kind of like, uh, hey, don't throw that on the ground. Yeah, I'm writing you a ticket. But if you really think about it, there's kind of a bigger picture here, you know, like <laughs> the cop is going to, I mean, and you think about it, you know, the broader scope, Squidward has no income now. How's he going to pay the fine? Mm-hmm. You know, he quit. He, he's on strike. Being poor in America. Mm-hmm. Poverty is expensive. It is expensive to be poor. Yep. And the poorer you are, the more expensive your life is. He, he's there out there. The, the cop finds him. Now we've got, they're, you know, they're walking around back and forth, marching, you know, saying their protests. Uh, something along the lines of, uh, <laughs> sawing at the sawing the tables of oppression, or <laughs> but gnawing at the ankles of tyranny, or <laughs> something uh, like that. Gnawing at the ankles of big business, um, <laughs> sawing the tables of I don't remember that one. Right. So, the, so there's this kid that comes up to SpongeBob and is kind of like, "Hey, uh, you know, you're SpongeBob, right? Like, you're my I'm your biggest fan and all this." And he's like, "Can you sign my spatula?" And he's like, "Hey, yeah, who are you?" And he's like, "I'm I'm here to take your job." And crosses the picket line, goes in. It's like a teenage kid, you know. And it's just like this totally demoralizing thing. And Squidward then, you know, comes after SpongeBob. It's like, you didn't even threaten him. <laughs> like, like you didn't even give him so much as a, as a threat. Like, again. See, that's interesting to me. Like, that, that whole thing with, like, threatening the scabs. Mm -hmm. Like, scabs are bad. Right. But, like, why does... Why is there never any work with the scabs? Like it, that's the cultural hegemony at play here. Is that is that uh, if you're on if you're on strike, you're going to do evil, violent things to the people that are just trying to earn an honest living. Those those scabs that you know that like you know what I mean. Well, like that's what the, that's what the is show is trying to say, right? I I just well. Because, like, for example, the one that always comes to my head is Mother Jones. Mm -hmm. Like, I think she was really cool. Except her treatment and feelings towards um, people from Asia that were brought over to work on the railroads. But it was just always interesting to me that she never thought, wait, maybe we should reach out and try to communicate and, you know, and, and work with them and, and give them, right. you know, benefits and freedoms too, right? But no, it was like, they're an enemy and we need to shut them down and we need to fight, right? And it's... You want to, and, uh, and, and it's one of those things. Maybe I don't understand, and and I I am. Well, it's it's the owners trying to pit different groups of workers against each other. Right. I mean, it's been going on for a very long time in the U.S. and around the world. Does anybody you want to give us a uh, ten second history lesson on Mother Jones? Who that was for our listeners that may not be aware? Athena. Man, oh, ten minutes. Okay, uh, so Mother Jones. Ten seconds. Is, uh... <laughs> not ten minutes. <laughs> Ten seconds. Oh, of course. <laughs> so uh, I guess the long and short of it is Mother Jones was this um, character. Um, I say character because she kind of created a persona mm. um, that would rally around um, coal miners and, and help them um, strike. And Sort of the, the thing that you mentioned earlier that we needed, right? Like somebody to help them form the unions that they needed to, right? Yeah, it, it was, um, she, she kind of came like a mascot in a way if you think about it of labor yeah. labor movement but she was very critical of uh, asian immigrants that were that were brought over in a very ugh, it 
because you know they were victims too, all things considered. Because I, if, right. if I remember correctly, what the way that they were brought over was kind of a slave trafficking sort of way. Like mm. they, it was it was just straight up trafficking. Yeah, yeah, it's okay. still ongoing today too. Yeah, Mother yeah. Jones was the uh, was the co-founder of the IWW actually, <laughs> the Industrial oh, Workers I didn't of the know World. That. Yeah, so she was a community organizer in uh, eighteen ninety seven. So, okay. uh, yeah. It's it's really interesting because she's like um, one of, if I remember, she was very accepting of of black people. Which what, you want to talk about something that that shot a lot of unions and labor movements in the foot was they would be very they would be very racist and they wouldn't allow right. black people into their movement. Right. So she she got over that and she allowed black people into the movement, which of course she fucking should. Um, but then she's like, oh. But not those guys. <laughs> but not Asians. Like, uh, <laughs> yeah, almost. You're so close. So close. You're so close. <laughs> you're so close. Right. So yeah, the, we get the we get the scab kid tr- crosses the picket line here, and you know, much to, to uh, SpongeBob and Squidward's uh, chagrin. And so, uh, you know, <laughs> Squidward has this meta- metaphorical dismantlement that he talks about. And he's riling up this crowd, right? Like, so they're all, everybody's getting into it. And they're, 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 all those words that he said, you know, about just, you know, sawing the tables of injustice or whatever. And the people are like, yeah, 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 let's do that. We're with you. We're here to support you. And then somebody in the crowd's like, all this, all this striking is making me hungry. You all know? this supporting, all of this supporting is making me hungry. <laughs> right. So they just walk straight past the picket line and go in and uh, order a bunch of, Krabby Patties, presumably. But, yeah, something uh, I wanted to bring up here, too, is during the speech that uh, Squidward has, he's talking about wanting to, like, destroy the business, you know, cast it down mm. and so forth. And uh, it's not, he's not talking at all about the workers controlling the business. Yeah. And, you know, being oh, paid yeah. a fair share. Mm-hmm. He's not talking about, you know, having livable working conditions. Right. The only things that he says, the only the only words put in the character's mouth are destroying the business. And right. that's actually a reflection of the anti-union propaganda that mm-hmm. you'll see put out by like Target or Amazon or right. whatever, where they say the unions just care about, you know, make getting your union dues. They don't care if in the process the company gets destroyed. So right. that was, you know, kind of uh, very uh, hegemonic there in that they were putting anti-union propaganda in the mouth of this guy who's on strike. Mm. Yeah, that's a good point. I mean, uh, all of us that have had a job like at a big box store or something have seen anti-union propaganda in some way or another. Um, some some subtle, some not so subtle. Um, in fact, I, I saw the, I believe it was the uh, company handbook for Menards, I think, just straight up has an- tons of anti-union propaganda posted all like on every page almost just uh i should find a link to it and put it in the comments actually because it's uh it's or in the description because it's uh it's egregious just sort of like you know this is the this is a challenge to our free society and 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 free enterprise is is threatened by workplace organization and you know just st- stuff like that like because that's the myth right like Anybody that's going to go on strike, their goal is going to be not to earn a living wage, not to have stake in the company, uh, but to destroy it and dismantle it board by board or whatever. If you think about it, if workers own the means of productions, if workers 
did get what what they have earned and what they deserve in the minds of the CEOs and shit, it, <laughs> they are destroying it because right. it's not theirs anymore. Right. Exactly. The business is fine, right. but it's not their business anymore. But I mean, the, 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 I guess the, the interesting part of it is the doubling down that happens, you know, right? Like it's, mm-hmm. a, it's not, I, I'm not going to yield any of the control to the workers. Like we're not going to give oh, no, you cause they're any narcissists <laughs> by and large. Uh, so yeah, so so we've got, you know, and of course this whole time that that Squidward is talking about dismantling the establishment and so on, SpongeBob is much like a sponge taking it all in, you know. So uh, the people that run in, they smash Squidward. He's flattened on the side of the road, and it gives us one of our one of my favorite sound bites of the whole episode. Nobody gives a care about the fate of labor as long as they can get their instant gratification. Now I did want to point out something too, though that. While the people were getting riled up, it was more similar to, like, cheerleaders at a prep rally type of rile up. They didn't actually understand what Squidward was saying. Right. Because he was, like, speaking in very, like, big words and things like that. And And I think that's something that happens, too, in labor movements for real, right? Like, you know. Well, just leftist spaces. Right. Yeah, yeah, exactly. Like, there's just a a lot of outrage. But but people don't really understand. They don't really know what they're outraged about, right? Like it's just. I mean, we talked in the last like three episodes. We've talked about the Nabisco strikes, right? Like uh, the human suffering costs associated with making Oreos and and, and chips. Is has any, is anybody you know going like stopping to? <laughs> is anybody stopping to eat Oreos or 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 lace or whatever in solidarity for the worker? You know, like I mean. It, it's going to happen to some degree if you're conscientious, but I I think that for by and large for the most for the most part people don't understand like they they're not that they they're just consumers you know like and I, I'm not trying to say that the average person is not smart like uh, it's just that you know you you don't have well, the ability to make a choice when you there's that but also when it comes to leftist theory guys it's dense yes it is. It is up there with my, because, like, like, I I have a master's degree in microbiology. The type of wording and how it's used is very similar to freaking uh, scientific papers. Mm -hmm. It is dense. And and I'm going to be honest with you. Like, I I remember, um, you know, I I watched this last night, and I'm normally pretty good at remembering what is said. I can't tell you it, like some of the specific things that Squidward said that wasn't repeated later in the episode. Right. And even some of those things are still kind of hard. And it kind of reminds me um, of a phrase used um, by Induendo Studios uh, in their alt-right playbook. I listened to that um, recently. And it's, left has a better product to sell, but the right knows how to sell a product. Hmm. And I think that's where we kind of run into issues um, because a, a lot of to sell a product, which is what you sometimes got to do a little bit, I guess. Um, I hope that there's a better way, but to get people on board sometimes is you got to talk with them and not at them, yeah. which is what stores is doing. And also we, we run into an issue with the fact that, you know, if you're a leftist, then you probably 
have morals. Um, yeah. Sorry. Um, and you don't want to lie and you want to be as, um, you know, informative as possible. Right. The right doesn't have to do that. Right. Um, they can just lie out of their asses the day is long. And yeah, I mean, it's the classic playbook, right? Like, you they you right. go low, they go lower, you know, forever. Exactly. Oh, <clears throat> it's interesting, because that's also one of the videos um, yeah. from so, the alt-right playbook. Forever! Forever! On strike with SpongeBob forever? Hey, Squidward, I bet old man Krabs is going to break any day. Hey, Squidward. Hey, Squidward. Yes, Squidward. Yes, Squidward. Yes, Squidward. Yes, Squidward. Ah! I gotta beg Mr. Krabs for my job back and put an end to this nightmare. So, so you know, they, Mr. Krabs comes back. They they go back in the middle of the night and they try to. Uh, you know, they leave the company. Mr. Krabs comes back and is like, "I'm devastated. These these teenagers, they're not doing it right. I I don't know, you know, and uh, what they're doing. You know, I can't I can't go on without you. And this is like every worker's dream that that you leave a company, right? And then it just falls apart without you, you know. But the reality of it is, most of the time, companies just kind of you know smooth things over. And they, even if they are affected by it negatively, they're never going to let you know, right? Like. They're not going to come back. They're they're too prideful, you know, to 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 come back and and like say, hey, we need you back. We need you. I don't know of anybody who's ever been approached like that. Like say, we can't we can't go on without you. You you know you you're while you're on strike, especially. Like that would never happen, right? I mean, anybody want to correct me on that? <laughs> like I just don't see it. You know. I don't think it would ever happen. No. Uh, and SpongeBob, it's kind of funny. He's listening to this old record, right, on a on a on a phonograph thing. It's like greedy, Mister Boss Man, like something like that. Like it's definitely supposed to be like some sixteen tons stuff, you know, like that old old school, uh, you know, anti or that old old school pro labor music that you'd hear from, you know, Harry McClintock or you know, Tennessee Tennessee Irving Ford or what have you. It's just great stuff, you know. Uh, it's just there for just a split second, but it's a great it's a great call back to that sort of that old country type of uh, of, of you know pro labor music that I wish we had more of today. Uh, SpongeBob thinks the end goal is getting his job back, not really making progress. He goes in and in the middle of the night, you know, he gets fired up, destroys the entire structure literally because he he takes everything that Squidward says, he takes it literally. I adore the working man to his rightful glory. I will dismantle this oppressive establishment board by board. I will saw the tables of tyranny in half. Gnaw at the ankles of big business. Squidward will be so proud. And then literally, you know, bites the pillar, saws the table in half, and just, you know, pulls every board up. Uh, destroys the crusty crab, uh, and Mr. Krabs comes in the next day and is like, oh, "To pay this off, you're gonna you're gonna work for me forever." And there's like this, you know, montage of him, <laughs> just Squidward, just being like, "No, I can't. I'm gonna be stuck here with SpongeBob for all of time," right? And that's it that's, ends on their skeletons. Yeah, yeah, it's the cold clothes there. They're just both skeletal, <laughs> you know, sweeping the floor or whatever. Oh, so, I got some good news here. 
What's that? I found the actual uh, the song that SpongeBob is listening to is "Hey Me, <laughs> Mr. Bossman." They made it uh, especially for the episode, and there is actually just a clean recording of the track itself. Oh, that's uh, glorious! Up on YouTube. Hey me, Mr. Bossman, I'm quitting this here job. You've been outside getting tanned, and I've been getting robbed. Uh. Final thoughts on the show here uh, as a whole thing. I want to go to I want to go to Big John first. I want to I want to get what his take was on the on the whole show at large uh, on this episode. Yeah, I think they actually did a really good job of of developing in a nine minute segment uh, or nine minute like you know spliced up segment of of a labor you know movement. I mean, it, yes, it's obviously you know dumbed down so that everybody can understand it, no matter the age level, but. I think they did a good job in terms of, uh, you know, Nickelodeon, love them or hate them. One thing they're really good at is throwing in like adult content, like in random spots. Mm. Um, and I, you know, I would argue a labor union, uh, you know, labor movements probably like that. Uh, but they were able to, to show, you know, what it is. I think the payoff sucked, right? Like, <laughs> like you know, cause, right. cause they don't, they don't get, they don't win. Like, in fact, they lose because SpongeBob makes a bad decision um so there really is no payoff for for unionization that kind of sucks uh but at least the story was told is kind of my point because i mean mm. look i grew up I've, I've lived in west virginia my entire life and i can tell you on on one hand the amount of times that that public school taught me about labor unions oh yeah um even though west virginia has some of the most important labor union history in the entire country mm. Um, I mean, we haven't, I, I know that some, some of y'all are not from here, but in, in school, you have to take a West Virginia history class to mm. move on and they still don't talk about it. Yeah. <laughs> um, so at least, at least SpongeBob's doing that, I guess. But, <laughs> you know, right. Overall, obviously it's missing a payoff and doesn't really go into depth on, on what people actually face, but, uh, you know, I think my overall thought on this is I'm glad they at least brought the topic up because I think it's cool. Like kids, I would never have thought to make a SpongeBob episode that pertained to anything mm. close to this. Right. So I think it's a really, you know, it's really in, you know, inventive job, which they always are. So, um, but yeah, that's my two cents. Yeah. It's a pretty bold strategy d- tackling this subject matter <laughs> for a kid's show. For sure. Agreed. Agreed. I have a lot of mixed emotions on the ending to be perfectly honest. But I don't know. I just, I just don't know. <laughs> Something that I thought was funny about the ending is uh, the fact that, uh, from what I remember, and Athena, you may know better than I do on this uh, from your education, but aren't sponges functionally immortal? Immortal. Um. Yeah, I think it. It's uh, as. So it literally would be one eternity later. <laughs> right. <laughs> it could be. I think the I think the thing is like it's not like immortal in the sense that we think about it, but um, I'm gonna get pedantic if I <laughs> if I think about it too much. I know there's one episode where he mentions that he reproduces by budding, and I think that's real. Like there's a bunch of little sponges oh, that yeah. like pop off of him. <laughs> so yeah. Uh, well, I thought this was a uh, I thought this was a hilarious episode. I mean, uh, uh, all the you know, anti-union propaganda injected into it aside. I mean, what do you, you know, what do you expect from a kid's show developed by Nickelodeon? But 
All that aside, I thought it was hilarious. Cool. I'm content dense. I, I I just laugh at the memes in SpongeBob. Like the 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 ten minutes uh, that that we had was just so chock full of gags, you know, that uh, it just kept me going, you know. Um, oh, the, the picket fence. Not oh. a picket fence, a picket sign. <laughs> right. So so that, that's probably a good place as any for us to wrap it up on this one. I want to give Big John a chance to talk about Apod Latcha and just generally what they're doing over there, what they're working on now. You guys DM'd us about your project. I thought that was obviously it lines up really well for, for what we're trying to do as well. I mean, pretty much for us, we just wanted to give Appalachians a place to talk. I mean, that was really the thing. Before our podcast, there really wasn't much conversation going on about the region besides like terrible stereotypes and a very conservative motto mm. across the country and we wanted to essentially prove that wrong which is exactly kind of what you all are doing as well uh through you know probably a more creative way uh but in general uh you know our podcast just focuses on the region it essentially tries to break stereotypes that we've been you know kind of force-fed our entire lives and it, it's really just a place to show people that there are good things happening in mm. Appalachia because a lot of the times when you see it on the news, it's always something bad or it's always about poverty mm. or, you know, it's always about somebody getting taken advantage of. And trust me, we know that history to a T. We understand that. But we also think that there is a lot more to the region. And mm. that's why we try to bring on people who are doing a lot of really good things. Um, you know, organizations who are doing far more than, than I ever could for the region. So really, we're just trying to create a a community where people can talk about what's really happening in Appalachia. Well, I, I really appreciate you taking the time uh, out of your schedule to come in and, and talk about SpongeBob with us. I think, it, <laughs> I think it's been a blast. Uh, and I will definitely do a link in the description to Appalachia. You go to appodlatcha.com. Uh, y'all are at Appalachia on Twitter, right? On Yep, on everything. Okay, nice. So, yeah, it's A-P-P-O-D-L-A-C-H-I-A, at Appod Latcha. Very, very cool podcast. I'm a big fan myself, so I really appreciate you being here. Uh, and with that, we'll catch you all the next time. Hey, me, Mr. Ballsman, I'm quitting this here job. You've been outside getting tan, and I've been getting robbed. My life is worth so much more than a dollar and ten hours. Waking up at a quarter to four and I'm...